I don't know who's loved it more, you guys or us. We have loved being with you. It's a, I mean, that's not just flattery. I'm not, I have to be honest, if you know me at all, I'm really not into flattery. I mean, Paul will tell you that. I don't flatter people at all because it's something that I really kind of detest in the body of Christ because we're all lovey-dovey, oh, wonderful, wonderful, and then they turn around and walk away from you and think, oh, I thought you loved me. Uh, no, I'm not into flattery, but I have to say, this is a joy. It's been a, such a joy. Every time we come here, we feel at home, and we have been so blessed already, so blessed already. You know, right? Everything that you do here is excellent, and it's all to the glory of God, Amen. all to the glory of God. And the students, my goodness, it was wonderful to be with you today and yesterday. It was just such a joy, um, and we're going to maybe have another little trip together, so hey, we're looking forward to that. Do you know, you were talking about the power. I'm not going to say too much tonight because Kevin's coming, but um, I, you were talking about the power, or you would say power, wouldn't you? Power. We say power. <laughs> power. There's plenty of power in this house. <laughs> so you're probably going, what is she saying? There's plenty of power. I said, I can't even say it. Power. You've got the power. You know, I mean, you, you could go, you could right, go right in there, couldn't you? But anyway, I really felt that tonight when these guys were up here worshiping. I was like, whoa, okay, can I go? I could feel it. It's so incredibly anointed. And remind me, I have a gift for you too. Just, just want to catch, catch the eye there. You know, I was thinking about today, I was telling the students today just about where we are in, in Belfast and how the trouble can sometimes come to our door and how it did come to our door with the murder that Kevin witnessed and how the trial's coming up and we're really kind of looking forward to it in one way, we get it behind us, but also kind of a little bit apprehensive about it. But God had Kevin there during that time of the murder so we know that God's, when he walks into the courtroom, God's walking into the courtroom with him. At the minute, currently, there's a feud going on between, between the one terrorist organization, the UVF, they're kind of in-house fighting. So that kind of involves us. The television company phoned Kevin yesterday morning, wanted to do an interview with Kevin. Wouldn't be wise to do the interview in this season because you don't want your face out there. There's already a video out there with Kevin all over it. So we're trying to keep a low profile and not a big, loud profile in that realm. But you know, I was reading today about Mary Woodworth Etter. And Mary Woodworth Etter, just when you said about the power tonight, I was like, wow. This, I have to read this before I read the, the prophetic word that I have, but Mary Woodworth Edder was 80 years old when she died in 1924. Having maintained her acute mental powers, in other words, she was sound mind, and her popularity with the common people until the end. She had buried all of her six children and her two husbands. So this woman knew what pain felt like. She knew what discouragement felt like. But she kept on keeping on. And I said to those young ones today, never, never, never give up. And it says, you know, in other places, this is what she said, in other places I have been in great dangers. Many times not knowing when I would be shot, either in the pulpit or going from and to the meeting. Woo. Many times I've been followed, she said. Often bands of wicked men came in to kill me or tear up the meeting. Their looks and very appearance are sufficient to terrify. I told the story today about seven masked men coming into our meeting one night, you know, kind of all masked up with their balaclava on, and Kevin saying, on into the kitchen, fellas. 
I went out and followed them in, and they said, could you give us a wee cup of tea, love? They took their masks off, they had their wee cup of tea, and their, we would say biscuit, you say cookie, and they said, thanks, love, put their masks on again, and went back out to fight. You know, you don't get that every, in every church, but when I read this this morning, I thought, wow, she was waiting on them coming into a meeting to shoot her. That's, that's called serving the Lord in the midst of the battle. That's no, there's no, nothing wishy-washy about that. She did, you know, she said, the Lord would always put his mighty power on me so that he took all the fear away. In him, we have nothing to fear, no matter where we are or who we're with. And it made me feel, she said, like a giant. She felt empowered to be like, a, I'm a giant in the faith here. These guys better not come near me. He always stood by me in every way. If in any way they had tried to shoot me or kill me, he would have struck them dead. Hallelujah. She had that faith that said, if they come near to touch me, they better watch out because they're the one that's going to die. Why can't we think like that? See, we're in a crazy world, people, with crazy people. And you need to, th this is not just a story. This is your everyday real life story here where we live. There are people out ready to kill people. And we need to know that we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. We are giants in the faith that if they try to come near us, that our God's going to strike them dead, strike them down. She said, the power of the Lord was on me, something like it was on Jesus when he drove out the mighty men, the money changers in the temple with a little cord, whip, or rope. There was nothing to make them afraid but the awesome presence of God. The fear of God always made them leave. They walk in, they feel the presence of God, oh, we better get out of here. That's the sort of meeting you want to have. That evil can't even step in the door. The fear of God always made them leave, and the same is true today, she said. And I'm saying to us, the same is true today. Sometimes they fall like dead men. They can't even get in the door. They're dropping onto the presence of God. The Lord always pointed these people out to me when they were in the crowd and showed me our danger. There's where you want to get to, people. You want to get to a level of such discernment that you can look at this crowd and you can go, okay, there's danger in the house. You turn to your intercessors, you better start praying, there's danger here. And all of a sudden, they leave. There's danger that comes to our doors, but we have nothing to fear. Because in him, we've got the same power that Jesus had on the inside of us, and we are mighty, mighty in the Lord. I'm just going to share this prophetic word that the Lord gave me. It was quite a strange, it was, it was a, a vision that I had of a defibrillator on a wall. There was a defibrillator on a wall, and I seen two hands come towards the defibrillator to take it off the wall. And then the Lord spoke, and he said this, Church, you have an irregular heartbeat beating like crazy one minute, missing the next minute, then going slow, and so this irregular pattern goes on, irregular and unstable. You have let fear into my church, doubt, the hath God said questions. You've allowed compromise in and allowed whispered yeses instead of loud noes. I love that line. I thought, you know what, we need to say a few loud noes these days. But I, your God, have the defibrillators in place. And I'm about to start to use them. 
Course correction is on the way, so get ready for the defibrillator, the shock words from men and women of character, my chosen voices who have stood the test of time, allowed my words through them to get you back into alignment and the right rhythm of my purpose and grace once again. Get ready, he said, for the voices of truth, those who will no longer remain silent for the sake of unity. Unity is not compromise. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is around my word of truth alone. I will have a bride whose heart is living in the rhythm of my kingdom truths, a bride who has made herself ready, one whose lamp oil is full, one who lives in a preparation of readiness, one who is strong and tenacious. You used that word tonight over us, Pastor. One who won't be silenced. An authentic, healthy church living from the bread of my word. No longer saying one thing and doing another. No longer trampling my courts with self-promotion and pride. So church, get ready. My defibrillators are powering up and my course correction will be heard. So steady yourself and know that your heart will beat again as one with me strong and loud, a steady rhythm of mercy and grace, full of my love, beating forth a strong orchestra of one chorus, one heart, one clear sound reverberating throughout the world. Be encouraged, my church. You'll be known once again as a strong, resolute church beating as one. You know, the Lord has the defibrillators in place. And I believe in this house, you have the defibrillators in place. Pastors, apostolic leaders are not afraid to say what the word says, to say and course correct. Ones who will go out louder than ever before. I've heard some of those things. I watch, <laughs> I watch you here. And I've heard some of those messages and I'm going, come on, God. Those are the defibrillators that are coming to bring some shock words to some people who are like, whoa. Because there's people out of alignment right now. There's people whose heart is not in the regular beat that it should be in with the body of Christ. It's out of alignment. It thinks it's beating, but actually it's right out. And there's voices that are coming in these days that are gonna say, you better course correct or you're gonna be right off the map. God has got those defibrillators in this house, even in the young people. There are defibrillators in your voices. I mean, I could, I could appoint some of you out today that will stand for truth regardless of what you're thought about, what anybody thinks of you. And I think that's who you have in this house. You've got pastors who know the truth, and who know the truth will set you free and will not be silenced. They'll be very loud in this next season. They'll be saying some shock words for, to some people who'll be quite offended in a moment, but actually brought into alignment the next. So I bless you with the defibrillator word. I bless you in this house to be all that God has called you to be throughout the nation and throughout the nations of the world. I believe you're gonna go shock some people with some of the things you're gonna say because you're gonna bring truth and bring it into alignment in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me just for a moment?
not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Father, we have gathered today, tonight, around thy throne of grace. We do pray thee, Lord, and thou wouldst blessed this hungry waiting host. Touch us with thy grace. Wash over us with thy spirit. Cleanse us by thy blood. And visit us, Lord, we pray thee, with thy holy fire upon the altar of our hearts. Lord, we pray also that thou wouldst sweep us up with thine everlasting arms and bring us close to the bosom of our Lord and Savior, where we may lay our head upon that sweet breast tonight. Visit every household with thy saving grace and thy healing power. O oh Lord, where would we be unless thou had rescued us? Have mercy upon us this night. And we have come because we desire to meet with thee. We are hungry. Your word says that we should be filled. Honor thy word. We pray thee in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. So, Thanksgiving is upon you. <laughs> We've sampled some of your pastor's mother's delights in the culinary department of expertise that excels and swells at the same time. I mean, my goodness, what's not to love? Ah, I'm just so disappointed we're not here with you over Thanksgiving, but we're kind of getting a taste for it. But Thanksgiving, 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 the giving of thanks, so precious. I want to talk briefly for the time that we have left on the weaponizing of Thanksgiving, the weaponization of Thanksgiving. It was mentioned uh, tonight in the wonderful prophetic word that your pastor and apostle uh, released over us about a great and effectual door of ministry being opened unto us. And that is true for the body of Christ in the season in which we discover ourselves because very often it's a discovery rather than a foresight and we find ourselves in a moment of time on the threshold of a new season and about to embark on a journey, an adventure that has all the thrills and spills and some of the unexpected as well and we would do well to be very wise and vigilant in those moments. And St. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me. And he said, And there are many adversaries. I don't think he was bothered by that. He just wanted everybody to be aware of that. The Battle of Thermopylae, I don't know exactly when, but many years before Christ, the Persians boasted that they would wipe out the 300 Spartan warriors. And they boasted, our arrows will blot out the sun. And the Spartans replied, good, then it will be nice to fight in the shade. 
I tell you what, in this season, if we have that attitude, we will do great exploits and we will succeed beyond all expectation. And what I love about this place and what we have enjoyed so very, very much is the oxygen of praise. And fire burns where there is oxygen. You cannot come into this atmosphere, into this presence of the Lord that is resident here. This indeed is a habitation and remain untouched by holy fire. When you yield in abandonment to worship and praise. And also I believe that the oxygen of optimistic prayer is very much alive and well. We have received it. We have felt it. We have enjoyed it. We have been so blessed by it coming from all of you, rivers of fire flowing together, a firestorm of prayer. But it's impossible, as Vance Havner once said, to be optimistic if you have misty optics. And so you have to make sure that your lens is clear to see exactly as the Lord sees things. And I believe that there is coming the largest concentration of spiritual authenticity that the world has ever seen. And you and I get to be part of the great invitation to participate in the glory that is coming. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And we know the context is darkness and gross darkness to people, but there is a great concentration of spiritual authenticity that is coming and is beginning to arise. And so open doors. Have you ever noticed when you land at an airport, before you exit the, uh, the gate, that you will go through some security doors? And as you walk up to them, you really don't have to do very much. Just your presence activates the open door. Well, in God's economy and according to God's design, when you carry the presence of the Lord, there's destiny that is alive and well and, and running with such strength in you that when you approach the doors of the new season, they open automatically when you are correctly aligned. And as we came through one airport, actually there were double doors. And so I think there's a double door of blessing uh, that is upon us in this season. I, I believe it wholeheartedly. But one thing I want to say to us tonight is that we have to develop and maintain our peripheral vision. I can look directly ahead, and I can see what's ahead, but if I'm so focused on what's ahead, I can miss things forming in the Spirit in my peripheral vision. And I sense the Lord is saying, not only will I show you with such clarity the place where you are going, the things that lie before you, but also widen your peripheral vision to see what is forming by my Spirit and what is forming by the enemy so that you are equipped and aligned to deal with both. So just stand with me just for a moment before I go on to thanksgiving. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, Father, I pray right now that every man, every woman, every child, Father, that you would expand the peripheral vision now in Jesus' name. There will be such clarity and discernment, Lord God. It will be so wonderful. Maybe met with some trepidation, but you're able to get us over that also, Lord. But Father, we pray that we will see what we've never seen before to the width and the arc of fire that we have never measured before. 
Oh, Lord, would you do it? Would you do it right now? In Jesus' name. Or cataracts in the spirit, or glaucomas in the spirit. In Jesus' name, be removed right now. And maybe even physically as well. Yes, why not? In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on. You may be seated. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Well, the weaponization of thanksgiving. Let's get right down to it. Fasten your seatbelts. I'll try and go as fast as I possibly can. Paul gave an instruction in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and he said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How are you getting on with that, by the way? Review the last 24 hours. How is your thankfulness and your thanksgiving? Has it been mobilized? Has it annihilated the enemy? Or have you enjoyed a pity party where the invitations have been sent out, me, myself, and I, and there's nobody else invited, and you're just down there with yourself. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Stop it. The Bible doesn't say for everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It says in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So review the last week when you go home, or now perhaps in your mind you can identify some opportunities where you didn't give thanks when you should have given thanks. And I tell you, the best time to give thanks is when you least feel like doing it. You see, there's a power in that because it becomes a sacrifice. Somebody gives you a gift and it's wonderful and it's magnificent and it's large and it's huge. There's an involuntary response. Oh, thank you so much. You can't help yourself. It's good. It's proper. It's proper. But when things are not going well for you and the temptation is to grumble, and I'll mention about that in a minute, and you say, no, I'm not going to grumble, I'm going to give thanks. You see, that's a sacrifice. You see, in the altar of your heart, you've made a choice that the flesh is going to die, that that luxury of, of lament, the reason you could find for every moment of discouragement to be amplified in your mind, in your conversation, and you shut that down. You say, I'm not going to go there because that's displeasing to the Lord. So do you know what I'm going to do, Lord? Whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to give you thanks. That's a sacrifice on the altar of your heart. And the last time I noticed when the altar was in good working condition, the fire fell. Actually, your level of thanksgiving is a measurement of your level of trust. It's impossible for a Christian to go around saying, I trust God completely and moan all the time. In fact, it's rather comical. You don't have a testimony, you just have moanies. You only have a testimony when you don't moan through the test. and You praise God. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's where it is, really, at the end of the day. But your level of thanksgiving is a measurement of your level of trust. Come on, how have you been this last 24 hours? Oh, may the heavenly archer release those arrows of grace and fire and strike the heart right where it needs to be hit. <laughs> 
I feel a bit mischievous tonight. Is that okay? Listen, the devil knows that if you grumble, you're going to stumble. And I can give you a verse and chapter for it. Numbers 11, verse 1. This is the Old Testament. Thank God we live in the New. But it says here, now when the people complained, we never do that, do we? We don't complain. You complain. Of course you do. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of them in the outskirts of the camp. That was a sad day, wasn't it, really? You know, there was a bit more food to go around for the rest of them, but um, it was a sad day at the end of the day. I mean, to be honest with you, thank God we live in the New Testament dispensation of grace. But the devil knows something that you will bench yourself or be disqualified from the reward that you could have and the promotion that the Lord seeks for you to enjoy if you habitually grumble because the, the, the devil knows that you're going to stumble on that very point. There is no power. There's no authenticity. There's no oomph in your Christian walk. And he's got you right where he thinks he needs to keep you. Of course, that can change in a moment. But I want you to allow the Spirit to burn this on your conscience and in your spirit tonight. But when you stay grateful in the face of the hateful, the devil knows he's already lost. Let me say that again. But when you stay grateful in the face of the hateful, the devil knows he's already lost. You want some wins in your life? They come in the context of adversity. You want to put one over an old neck? That's his nickname, by the way, the devil. You make sure that you stand tall when the world seems to unleash its storms by demonic intent against your life, and you lift your hands and you begin to amplify and magnify your thanksgiving, the magnitude of gratitude will be a weapon that no foe of hell can withstand. And you weaponize your thanksgiving. In fact, Rose preaches a message, and uh, she says, when the, the enemy comes to you and says, you can't withstand the storm. The warrior says, I am the storm. Oh, I love that. That is so good. And so are you a warrior tonight or a warrior? W-A or W-O, warrior, warrior. It's in the accent, isn't it? You probably don't understand it. We can fritter away our time with vexation and anxiety. I'm not really sure it's going to work out. Oh, my goodness. Is it? Oh, we can stand strong in that moment and say, I don't care. I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to stand here forever if that's what it takes. But I am a warrior. I'm not backing down. I'm not giving in. I'm not going to bend. I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to burn in the furnace. And you have that attitude on the inside of you. You'll never lose. But listen, let's, let's go right back to where it all begins in the first place. Go to the source of it. The first reason to be grateful is most astonishing. And if this is the only reason that you have to be grateful for the rest of your life, it is enough. 
that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And should you and I experience hell for the rest of our lives, still we can stand and rejoice that this shadow of a life, this vapor of a life, this moment in time that is minuscule compared to infinity will one day yield a harvest that we will discover, oh, with such amazing wonder, the absolute pure legibility of the indelible ink in the Lamb's book of life where your name is emblazoned, I believe, written in His blood. And every day that seems to be going wrong, you could say, thank you, Lord, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you, Lord, that I'm heaven-born and I'm heaven-bound. It's in heaven's ledger. And I want to capture the sentiments of Ruth. She was a Moabite. She wasn't part of the commonwealth of Israel. She was a stranger. She was a foreigner. But she aligned herself. And you and I were once too strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, without God, atheists in the world. And this is what she said. She fell on her face and she sobbed out. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing as I am a stranger? Oh, listen. Charles Wesley captured it so well. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And adopted, blood-washed, sanctified child of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But you see, thanksgiving is a habit. It's a discipline. It's a decision of the will. It's an act of worship. It's a muscle that must be developed by exercise. If you don't use it, you will lose it. Listen, you and I carry such a cargo of grace that doesn't need to be split apart on the rocks of adversity by a lack of thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And, and by the way, it's commanded, it's not suggested. How many of us pray the Lord's Prayer every day? You don't have to lift your hands, it's just a question. Probably most of us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's God's will on earth perhaps a greater part of it. And so how are we getting on with that? It is an essential ingredient to all who will prosper in the will of God. And every man and every woman who was ever fruitful, successful, or who conquered in the Bible, perfected the practice of thanksgiving. How about you? How about me tonight? God's power goes to where thanksgiving flows. God can't help himself. If there's gratitude in your heart, it doesn't matter the circumstances. If there's a, a hallelujah that is raised, that's raised, thanksgiving that trips off the tongue, 
That's attractive to God. That's attractive to the Holy Spirit. The power begins to zero in on that moment in time and that person in the extreme difficulties of the situation and thanksgiving unleashes all heaven at their disposal. How are you getting on with your thanksgiving? Why do you keep asking that, Kevin? Because I need to. I need to ask myself every single day. You need to ask yourself every single day, Lord, how is my thanksgiving going? We need to grow in our thanksgiving. You see, the truth of the matter is quite simple. And perhaps we've never thought of it this way. Thanksgiving seems just to be a duty that we're required to do because the Bible instructs or demands it. Something that sounds good, a little bit of a ooh-ah, soft focus moment. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, it sort of trips off the tongue sort of effortlessly, but it doesn't have much sincerity. Much of the time, it's shallow. We're just doing it because we ought to do it. But have you ever considered the power of Thanksgiving in the courts of the Lord? Where it actually locates you? When you give thanks? It locates you in the courts of his favor. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. And the Hebrew word, you may know this, for thanksgiving is toda, which means to extend the hand. Extend the hand. Just, just do that with me, just as an exercise. Extend the hand. Toda. Extend the hand. It's an action, isn't it? You see, belief affects behavior. Extend the hand. But there's much more to it, as I'm going to show you. So you enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You are thankful to him as you bless his name. You have entered into his courts of favor. And this is absolutely personified in the story of Esther, where the wicked Haman, so prophetic right now, wished to annihilate the Jews. And so he had manipulated the king into issuing a decree which couldn't be revoked, and all was set. But God had his person, kind of like a sleeper, in the courts of the king, ready to be mobilized. The king's very own queen, Esther, his bride, born for such a time as this. And she goes into the king's court uninvited, which meant that if the king was in a bad mood, it would be a death penalty. And so we read in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in her inner court, the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And notice that Esther had put on her royal robes. When you wear the royal robes of righteousness, 
purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings will never refuse you entrance into the courts of his favor. You don't go in your self-righteousness or your presumptuousness. You go on clothed with his righteousness and with a very real sense of a fear of the Lord, a reverential fear of the Lord. And so in that moment of truth, there was something about the dignity of Queen Esther and the way that she stood in her earnestness and sincerity, not for herself but for her people, that I believe the king saw in that moment. And the problem is with so many in the body of Christ, we like the adventure of the heavenly encounters. We've become spiritual tourists, almost like, I'm just going to take a selfie, me and the Lord. And we trivialize what is essentially a fearful, wonderful, powerful moment. But we're not spiritual tourists. When you and I are called to enter into the courts of the Lord, we go in with a purpose. You see, the fact of the matter is that you and I don't exist for ourselves. We exist for others around us. We exist for those yet to be born. And when you stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and you stand before the King of Kings, he extends his scepter. And what did Esther do? Esther went near and she touched the top of his scepter. The Hebrew word is different, but the embodiment of what she did is the same, toda. She extended the hand toward the scepter of his authority and found favor in the eyes of the king. Don't you tell me that thanksgiving is just a pathetic exercise of being a Christian. Don't you tell me that when you're feeling low, that thanksgiving is useless. Don't you dare think that. We are required to boldly approach the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Thanksgiving, we enter his gates with thanksgiving in his courts with praise, and we are thankful to him, and we bless his name as we touch his scepter. In the most holy, reverential, fearful moment of time. And then the authority is released to deal with that situation. The grace begins to flow. The mercy baptizes that situation or that moment. But it begins with thanksgiving. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. How is your thanksgiving? Do you need to secure some favor for yourself, for your family? For the unsaved loved ones, friends, work colleagues, Adam's seed that have not yet been regenerated, you are instructed to enter the courts of favor and extend the hand in thanksgiving for what God will do 
for your petitions. Thanksgiving is the chip and pin on your credit card of grace. You see, our thanksgiving locates us in God's story, not the devil's or man's. Psalm 92, verses 1 to 5. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. What does that mean? Giving thanks to the Lord to show forth his loving kindness in the morning. In other words, you're thankful for what God is going to do over that day. I thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness that will be displayed as this day unfolds. And at the end of the day, when you review it before your head hits the pillow, you give thanks for his faithfulness every night. You see, the entirety of your life and mine should be baptized in thankfulness and thanksgiving. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp of the solemn sound, for thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. Thanksgiving. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. As I did in the past, as I am now, and I will do in the future. Thanksgiving. Now, thanksgiving is a powerful weapon. There was a certain day in the history of God's people. We find it in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 21 to 22, where there was impending catastrophe because the enemies of God's people had gathered around and they were threatening them with annihilation. It sounds so familiar repeated itself time after time after time in the history of God's people. But there was a godly king on the throne, Jehoshaphat. Although there was alarm and great fear that swept through the dwelling places and the camps of God's people, they did the most important thing. They consulted the Lord and the prophets began to speak. And they said, you won't have to fight this battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. Believe, prosper, be established. <laughs> it almost seems rather silly as a strategy, really, what happened next. <laughs> I mean, the worship is absolutely outstanding. You know, it's... I have loved it, I have drunk it in, I have been saturated by it, I've been mobilized by it, I've been blessed by it. And of course, the old name for the worship team was, uh, of course, the choir, you know, and even now people join the choir. Come and join the choir. I'm a member of the choir, you know. Are you really? Yes, yeah, I'm a member. I've been a member of the choir for 15 years now. I sing, we, we hold concerts, people come, we raise for charity. Member of the choir, yeah, I sing solo. I'm a great baritone. Really? I'm an alto. I'm a soprano. We get dressed up, you know, we get our robes on and all that and have a wonderful Christmas service. You should come sometime. The choir is the place to be. 
Not on that day, it wasn't. <laughs> the strategy, <laughs> I mean, try this for size. The strategy was, okay, an invading army, too numerous to mention, and God's people here, God has spoken. Well, that's great. We feel a bit fortified, but we're still lacking a little bit in numbers. And uh, so that the king says, okay, um, here's the strategy. I've just received it from the Lord, and, and here we are. Choir, choir, where are you? Okay, choir, yeah, yeah, um, what we, well, yes, the choir's here, perhaps we're going to sing as the troops go forward, and we're going to cheer them on, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank, we're not fighting, but they are, hallelujah, and the king says, uh-uh, no, come on, I want you to come up to the front, or perhaps he's going to have a concern, well, what tune, he's going to, well, what tune we're going to sing, you know, what key, and, uh, and, and uh, gather around expectantly, what would you like us to sing, king? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you that in a moment, but what I want you to do, I want you to stand in front of the troops. Because you're going to march ahead of them. And this is what you're going to say. It's the NIV version. You're going to sing and you're going to say, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. Now, unless we have a kind of Hollywood soft focus impression of what took place with choirs of angels and they glided effortlessly across the advancing armies and the battle plane. And the Charlton's Heston's voice booming in the background. I think it would be foolish to accept that as a living reality or truth. I think that it didn't matter how well and how well tuned or experienced you were as a singer, even a professional singer, on that day, you would have sung off-key because you probably would have found that you would have been up front, the knees would have been knocking, and it wouldn't have been, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. It would have been more like, give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His mercy endures forever. <laughs> and I'm not being facetious because the Bible is about real people with real feelings real concerns. But it wasn't how in tune they sang. It was whether they were obedient. And perhaps that's why the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I don't know. I mean, you just think about that for a moment. Obedience is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than to understand. And something began to happen as they released their thanksgiving in a moment of crisis that would forever be recorded in the annals of Scripture for your benefit and for mine. It says, and as they begin, began to sing and praise, give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. It says, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Don't you dare say that thanksgiving is a waste of time. Don't you dare fall into fellowship with your self-pitying self. Come on, you're better than that. You're more robust than that. You're a child of God. You are the warrior that releases a storm of thanksgiving amongst the hailstones of adversity. And not only do you survive but you witness the enemy turning upon himself as the Lord sets ambushes against the infernal foe in the spirit who's oppressed you 
And every attack of the enemy doesn't last forever. It has a shelf life. Better to start giving thanks at the outset. And as we draw to a close, I want to say to you that thanksgiving brings supernatural peace. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. There it is again, you see, in everything. Not for everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard, garrison, it's a military term, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so we can put it this way, that thanksgiving is actually the usher that seats peace on the throne of your heart. Thanksgiving is the usher that seats peace on the throne of your heart. And this isn't some kind of passive peace where you just absorb everything that's going on in a peaceful, tranquil state of meditation. There is power in this kind of peace. And there's a purpose to this kind of peace. And there's a presence of God to this kind of peace. And it sits on the throne of your heart when you release your prayers with thanksgiving. And that peace of God begins to rule in such a way that it fulfills the Scripture in Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So let's not kid ourselves and say thanksgiving is a waste of time. Thanksgiving is an investment in a moment of adversity that unleashes the power and the presence of the Lord in that situation. Thanksgiving announces to the spirit world and the world around us that we've already and irreversibly embraced the reality that we cannot lose but will win through every time. Please stand to your feet. And as we draw to the close, and before I hand the microphone back to your pastor, right where you are, I want you to take an inventory of your life particularly the recent past. And I want you to ask Holy Spirit to illuminate to you, to us, what level of thanksgiving we are currently operating in. Because remember we said that your level of thanksgiving is a measurement of your trust, your level of trust. And so maybe you could close your eyes and lift your hands, whatever appropriate 
form of worshipful response you care to adopt. It's the echo of what we have just heard in the chambers of our heart that will resonate with the frequency of life under the rearranging of the fibers and the fabric of our spiritual life irreversibly and permanently if we receive it unto ourselves. And so, dear Heavenly Father, I pray that thy gracious presence will begin to touch our hearts tonight. May the gentle dew of heaven drop with ceaseless grace upon the bruised areas of our hearts, the calloused areas of our hearts, and bring healing and strength and alignment and thanksgiving may it be now from this moment absorbed into our DNA in our spiritual walk that when we leave this brightly lit auditorium filled with celestial light we may carry the light of your presence through thanksgiving into the darkness of the world around us oh would you do it Lord in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As Rose said earlier on, I witnessed something very traumatic five years ago. A brutal murder of somebody I'd known for ten years. And the Holy Spirit very shortly after that half an hour after that took me into the restroom and enabled me to lift my hands and say I thank you Lord that PTSD will not have control over my life I thank you Lord that you're strengthening me even in the midst of this and I feel that there might be some here maybe you've been bereaved maybe you've been traumatized or severely disillusioned and the Lord says gently to you, my son, my daughter, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Almost 10 years ago, my wife was gravely ill and the doctors wouldn't or couldn't do anything about it at that point in time in the United Kingdom. And she was losing weight and things were going in the wrong direction and she'd been hospitalized multiple times. And the outcome was not looking good. And I was emotionally numb. It was the perfect storm. There's a whole lot of other stuff swirling around, not just that. And she was away and I got word from those that were with her that she'd been hospitalized again. 
She was on high doses of morphine. And even their voices conveyed a sense of despair. And I wasn't there. And I felt the crushing weight start to settle upon my heart. And then in His grace, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to stand. And I stood in the bedroom and I pointed to heaven and I said, Lord, whatever happens, I will still love you. And I began to thank him for who he was. I praised his name. I also said, she's your daughter, so you know what to do. Wasn't that daft? <laughs> and the healing miracle that took place through dear friends is another story. But in the midst of emotional turmoil and numbness, I was graced to be able to thank the Lord. And so can you. Rose is here today. We're here today. You're here today. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God bless you. How many received the word tonight? Let's lift our hearts and our hands and let's pray for God to seal this. Lord, seal the word. Even over the next few days, over the next week, as we perhaps gather with friends and family, I pray you would privilege us with the opportunity, Lord, to slide away from the crowd, to take inventory and be mindful of all you've done for us. And may we stand and lift our hands to heaven. And may we find the grace in your presence to give thanks in Jesus' name. Seal this word. And the people said, Amen.